Who's got the most friends? I ain't looking for no spiritual answer. Y'all act like real people. I know we in church, but y'all ain't got to act all holier than thou. Who's got the most friends? Who's got five friends? Ten. Nicole said. She, <laughs> that hand went down so fast. Fifteen. Twenty-five. Fifty. A hundred. Two hundred. Man, a couple hands still up. Two fifty. All right, now if we count Facebook friends. Five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred. People are right. A Facebook friend ain't a real friend a lot of times, are they? Now what if I was to ask it this way? Who in the church has the best friend? Who's got? Now I'm gonna tell you right now, and this, this is kind of the pick, but kind of not. Seriously, who's got the best friend? Alright. Notice I didn't say who's got a best friend, I said who's got the best friend. People who don't have your hand up, that means your friend sucks. I, I'm being dead serious. Because you didn't even think enough of them to argue the point that they could have been the best friend out of all the other best friends, right? I mean, let's shoot straight. I'm being, I'm being real, right? Yeah, I mean, if you didn't even want to raise your hand, you're saying, well, I got a best friend, but they must not be the best friend because they kind of, you know, forget me here and don't do this and, and, and all that. The people that had their hands up just now, they're willing to argue a case that their best friend is literally the best friend out there. And they would be willing to prove it, right? All right? You would be willing to debate. You'd be willing to go to go to combat for them, correct? Because is that not what a best friend really is? I think sometimes we've forgotten what it really means to have a best friend. See, Facebook friends, I'd call those acquaintances, if they even make it that far. Some of them are just acquaintances we had met. 25 years ago and happened to send us. I think sometimes it's a game on Facebook to see who can get the most. Because I'll get friend requests from people I ain't seen in 20 years. I'll have to really think really hard about who even was, where I even knew him from. And then I have to wonder, well, what in the world are they sending a friend request for if we hadn't seen it? You look, maybe they moved back into town. No, they still live, you know, clear across the whole country. So I think it's, I think it's a game sometimes. So those are acquaintances. Then you get true friends. And those were where you know, some of us kept our hands up longer. There are people we see daily. You know, maybe you're even sitting next to one of them this morning. Uh, you brought up, maybe brought them to the turkey shoot or you, you see each other at least once a year or you make a point to see each other every so many years or, or something along there. But you got some face to face contact. You spend time with them. But that last group, that best friend. And, and I would say it's safe to say you probably have a very small group of that. I'm not in the belief 100% that you can only have one best friend because there's certain things you can talk to certain friends about better than you can talk to other friends about. And so I would say you, it's okay to have more than one best friend for definitions. But that's the person you're calling when life is really bad. That's the person you're going to call when you are very unhappy with something that went on. You are hurt. You're grieving, whether it's the loss of a loved one. You know, whether it's a, a, a struggle in your marriage, whether it's a struggle with the kids, whether it's just being sick and tired of people, whether it's your own bad medical you know, diagnosis that you, you've gotten. Uh, but they're also the person you call when something good happens. You're getting married again. Uh, you're having a baby. He said yes. She said yes. Uh, you raised a lot of money. You got a new car. You know, whatever it is. So they're the person that they're the first person that pops into your mind that you want to share this stuff with. Now, not to get anybody in trouble, but I would hope if you're married, your best friend is your spouse. They should instantly be the person you want to share the most with. But they're also the person, you know, you can tell the crap to and they're still going to love you because they signed on the dotted line years ago and they have to, uh, you know, that kind of thing going on. But it, but here's where I think the, the level begins to change. And I want us to understand this word that goes with friendship today. You've probably already seen it. In the bulletin, there's a chemistry when you've got a best friend. There's there's just something special about it. And I'm not being all weird with, you know, guys and guys kind of chemistry. But there's a there's a real connection. You know, instantly men don't try to act like it because we're too macho for that stuff. But but we know when there's a chemistry 
with another guy that, that we can, you know, hey, that's going to be that's going to be a pretty cool guy. You know, you women, I give you all credit. Y'all are a lot better, you know, about just, oh, yeah, we just connected instantly and we love each other no matter what. We both hate our husband. I mean, love our husbands, you know, whatever, whatever. But there's a chemistry that has to happen. And we've seen that with David and Jonathan. Think about when they first made this this friendship that they have. I mean, they, they were instantly drawn to one another. They were two people that had the same motives. And, and fortunately enough for them, and this is how for, I hope for believers we can find our truest friends, they were both motivated to serve the Lord. They had both just come off great victories, you know, for doing what the rest of the popular people weren't willing to do. One fighting a giant, two fighting a, a, a large army. But, but they were both willing to go to bat for God. And, and God has drawn these two together. And they feel this chemistry instantly. They grow it. They develop it. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. But here's something. And here's a word I hope we get. You can't have a best friend without making commitments. We get that. You cannot have you think back to your best friends. They've made commitments to you. And I hope because we're going to get this thing being mutual. You've made commitments to them. And without commitments, there's not much of a friendship, right? I mean, in all honesty, there's not much of a friendship if. If you if you don't have any commitment, and the more we look at David and Jonathan this morning and in the words that Crystal read, the three things we're going to look at is not only making commitments, but I hope our friendships, we act on those commitments. And then we have some follow through on those commitments, because even if you get fooled enough by somebody who makes a commitment who you thought was going to be a cool guy or cool gal to, to, to hang out with or whatever, if they don't act on the commitments that they made and if they're not willing to follow through on the commitments that they made. Man, quit making yourself go through more pain because they're not going to be the best friend that we're talking about this scripture has lined up for us to have. All right, because true friends, scriptural friends, spiritual friends, they make the commitments, they act on commitments, and they follow through on them. So let's look at this first thing. First thing David and Jonathan do, they make a commitment. Now we know this goes back two chapters to when they literally made a covenant with one another. So their commitment is way deeper than the normal face value, you know, hey, I'm committed to like you, you're committed to like me you know, kind of thing going on here. I mean, this this is a deep, deep relationship. And here's where it starts with. And I think if you guys are like me, and I think we, we're similar in a lot of things, the number one thing you got to be committed to in friendship is being available. Being available. Look how this thing starts. Verses one through four. Jonathan, David out there, the first commitment, the basic ingredient, you could call it for this friendship. David flees from Saul. He's going back to his friend, Jonathan. Notice he was in, in a safe area, but he's going back to, to see maybe what's going on, maybe just to see Jonathan again or whatever it is. And Jonathan commits himself to being available to David, whatever it is. Look at what he says. Whatever it is you need me to do. Now, there's how you know if you got a true friend. Because somebody who's not a true friend, they're going to say, well, well, exactly what is it that you need me to do? Exactly what are you asking here? You know, exactly what are the stipulations? What? What really is the cost to being committed to being available for you? A true friendship. There's no questions. You need availability. I am available. You know, I may have a crazy schedule. I may have already had, but I will shift things around. I, I will twist and mold and I will do whatever it is to be available to you. And that's David and Jonathan. They, they are available to one another. Now, now here's the sad part about, and, and I guess it gets even sadder when your dad throws a knife at you, but um, Jonathan in this beginning, I really think he's still convinced that Saul still doesn't want to kill David. You know, he's still got this, this little, little ray of hope of, you know, dad made me that promise at the beginning of chapter 19 and he's, he's not going to kill you, you know, anymore. So, you know, he's got this David, if you're with us last week for chapter 19, David is pretty convinced after four attempts uh, of murder on his head. That Saul does want to kill him. Like it, it is just not going to be this good, happy-go-lucky kind of thing. And, and Jonathan tells him these words, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do for you. You know, so, so whatever it is, even if dad turns out to, to have backlashed on, on his promise, I'm there. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Being available for somebody in good times and bad times. And hear me, guys, a lot of times, and, and, and I, I can relate 100%, sometimes there's issues that our friends go through. We don't know what to say. You know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a special hurt, a special grief, a, a, a really sad thing, a bad news, or whatever it is, 
And in all honesty, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You know, what, what do I do when I knock on the door for somebody who just lost their child? What, what do I do when I pick up the phone and somebody just lost their, their mom or their dad? What, what, do, what do I say when they just found out like they're going to die within a couple months? Like, what, what is that? You want the, you want the secret? You don't have to say and you don't have to do nothing. You just got to be there. Just be in there. Do, you, do we get that? There's no special word. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, anybody who's trying to tell you there is, and when you try to Google it or, or, or look online or read these fancy books, what do I say when dot, 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 they're all lies. Because every human being is wired differently. Yeah, sure, that phrase may work for this human and this phrase may work for that human. But in all honesty, there is nothing, nothing 100% foolproof that you can say or that you can do other than just be available. We need to be people who are available for one another. And I'm going to tell you right now, if your if your best friend is in this room, you've got like even something more special because spiritual brotherhood, we ought to be available for the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have. Even when it's something we don't like, you know, that's something I realize. Sometimes you just, you get those awkward feelings when you got to be there for people. I, 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 I'm going to be honest about it. I know you guys are more holy than me. And like you have no awkward feelings whenever you got to go into awkward situations. But there's just some moments where I'm like, man, like I just I just feel bad having to be here for this. But but here, here's here's where it gets real. Would you rather be the you in that situation or would you rather be whatever the bad news was that person got? Because, see, their situation is always worse than you if you're the person being available. So swallow your pride, get a little humble and realize the Lord has just allowed me to be a vessel and a tool to be some love for this person right now where they need it. Be available, guys. Be available. He says this in the phrase, verse 3. I just want to show you where David's finally getting because I think it kind of changes a lot of this stuff. David says this. There's but a step between me and death, verse 3. I don't know if you guys catch what David's saying in this, this fancy style of writing. David's discouraged finally, guys. He's finally got to a moment. I mean, he's been so powerful, so strong during these, these chapters, so great. He's fought so many physical battles, but here he is. And, and I really compare him and I know he's, he's easily comparable to Christ in a lot of situations. He's almost like Christ right now. You remember when Christ was on the cross and some of the phrases he said, one of those phrases was my God, my God, father, father, Lord, Lord, I, 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 why, why have you finally had to leave me? Jesus had finally gotten to that moment where he realized the full extent of the punishment. It wasn't just the cross. It was the emotional and the spiritual battles that he was going to have to, to finalize here at the end. And there, there's where David is. David's, David's beat up giants. He's beat up armies. You know, he, he's been victorious in everything he's done. And now he's finally at that part where there's only a step between me and death. Like no matter what happens now, Saul's not going to quit. I'm going to die. This thing is, it's over. I'm done. He's finally discouraged. And when we get like that, sometimes I think we fall into maybe us men. You women, again, give y'all credit. Y'all are way better friends uh, than men are. Because he, here's one of the things I, I had jotted down some phrases us men use. Here's what Jonathan could have told David. Where's your faith at, brother? Let me tell you right now, when somebody's finally reached the bubble pop of discouragement, they don't need you to ask them the question of where their faith is. Okay, we know where their faith is. It is broken. Okay, and they're not superhumans. They are real people. Faith gets broken sometimes. They don't need you to ask them, beat them up about it. Here's another one we use. Well, why don't you just trust the Lord? David does not need to hear. And these aren't not that these are bad questions, not that the motives behind them aren't great. But let's just be honest. If a dude is sitting in a field. Deserted from everybody, guys. I don't know if you realize it. He's, his wife is, is back at the, the palace. His friends are back at the palace. His best friend is, is somewhere between the palace and the field throughout this whole chapter. He is alone. He does not need to hear. You just need to trust the Lord. Okay? Get your spiritual underwear off and be real with some people for a little while, all right? Understand the heartbreak and the grief that they're going through. Now, now here, understand this too. Here's one reason why Jonathan didn't have to ask those questions too. Jonathan knew David's heart. 
Jonathan knew he was dealing with a fellow brother, you know, in Christ, someone who had faith, someone who had the, the strength and the knowledge. So what does he do? He offers help. Whatever it is you need me to do, I'll do. Sometimes all we need to do is just say, hey, man, what is it you need that I can do for you? And when we do that, then we do this next thing, commitment. So commitment to be available, commitment to kindness. Commitment to kindness. David reminds him of this covenant in verses 5 through 8. He based all his requests of this kindness off the covenant of the friendship that they've already made. Job chapter 6, 14, he says, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. I'd say kindness is like a basic commitment to friendship. But have you ever seen some of those friends out there sometimes? You hear them talking to one another and you're like, man, I, I didn't know if you guys were friends or if y'all were about to like fight. You, you know, sometimes that kindness part, depending on the type of relationship you got, can get a little uh, wishy-washy on what's really going on. And, and here again, we've got the same problem we had last week uh, with Mikhail, this problem of lying. Because what's David really telling Jonathan to do? The whole plan they got is great, by the way. I mean, I love the, the setup and the scene. You can really picture this, this whole thing played out. What's he telling? He says, will you go to my dad? I'm not going to be there. I'm supposed to be there. You know, this would be a, this would be a festival, uh, uh, time, uh, a thing where he was expected to be at this exact, uh, dinner time. So he, he knew Saul was going to be missing him, but he tells him, he goes, you go and you lie for me. So here again, we have that same situation we approached last week with is lying. Okay. Because there's examples of people with good motives that do it in scripture. Uh, Peggy had the opportunity this week too good not to share. You know, she's trying to buy some candy for kids. And of course, this time of the year, you find the right candy aisle. You can get a, a 50% off aisle. Well, she, she gets the 50% off aisle and she's ringing them up and, and the lady's not ringing them up at the right price. So y'all know how them Southern women are. They catch that kind of thing. You know, a guy ringing up, he'd have never caught it. I think that's why they don't offer to sell sometimes. The guy, yeah, pay it, roll on. She catches it. And, and the lady kind of, well, are you sure? That they're really 50% off. Like, like we're lying for a price of candy. So Peggy tells her, she goes, look, last week in front of the church, I confessed. I would lie to save a life, but I will not lie to get 50% off a bag of candy. <laughs> hey, just because people do it in scripture, just because there's good motives, lying is still not right. Do we understand that? All right. I point that out. Sometimes I think people read scripture and this lying thing is kind of an easy one. I think sometimes we read some stuff that's in scripture and we try to use that as, oh, well, we're allowed to have, you know, there, there are some beliefs that, you know, you should have multiple wives and they point that out that that happened in scripture, not ordained by God once in scripture. Okay. Just happened in scripture. Remember, this is, this is, this is the living word of God, but it's also got some historical references in it. Okay. So it's just telling us what idiots were doing back in the day. Oh, so here we go. It's kind of ironic we, we end with that lie thing because the next thing we got to be committed to, 9 through 11, we got to be committed to truthfulness. We've got to be honest with our closest friends. We should be. We can be honest. If the person you're thinking about as far as a best friend and you have to question whether you can be honest with them, guys, there's a problem there that y'all need to address. A friend is somebody you can be honest with no matter what. You know, they're the person that can look at you and say, hey, you got a booger in the cave. You need to clean it up so the rest of the world doesn't think less of you, you know, when you go out in public. They're that kind of friend, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need that kind of friend because you don't want to walk around with asparagus stuck in your teeth, you know, smiling at everybody all day, thinking everybody's smiling back at you. And, and really, they're just laughing at you. You know, you need a friend that's going to be honest with you. There's where Jonathan gets. Now, that's that's kind of a funny thing. But think about what Jonathan's got to be honest with. His honest question is, look. Either my dad's going to be okay with you and come back or you got to stay away forever because my dad wants to kill you. I mean, that's a tough thing to be honest with, guys. But no matter good, no matter bad, we've got to be honest. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies its kisses. Friends tell each other the truth, even when the truth is something they don't want to hear. Because a lot of times, if we're honest with some of our truthful conversations with true friends, Sometimes the truth can hurt. Sometimes the truth hurts, guys. David trusts Jonathan. He tells him that he's going to tell him the truth. And he tells him, like, here's the plan. If Saul deals harshly with you, he, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even say, what is Saul going to tell you? He says, I want you to look at Saul's attitude and Saul, Saul, Saul's uh, 
the way he handles himself when you bring my name up. You know, that that's what he's, he's supposed to be aiming at. And we see what happens here in a minute. He goes, he said, I'll be in the field waiting on this. And while I'm thinking about truthfulness, guys, I think we need to know this. I think we need to hear this because one, God said it, and, uh, or at least told me to, to tell you. When we try to hide or cover up for somebody, even with good intentions, and they find out the truth later, my fear sometimes is that thing you were trying to hide and cover up is the final straw, and it just causes more hurt than anything else they had heard. Does that make sense, everybody? Am I presenting that right way? You know, sometimes, and I, and I think, and I, I really believe, we've got good motives not wanting to hurt people. Nobody wants to, especially a friend. Nobody wants to emotionally, spiritually, or even physically, hopefully, hurt that friend. And sometimes because of those motives, we'll let our judgment get clouded. And here's where we then promote that lying thing for good motives. But when that friend finds out that you knew and that friend finds out that you could have got them ready early and that you could have prepared them before whatever it was that, that, that they went into. And they realize that the person they thought they could trust the most. Is the one that was hiding stuff from them. Man, that's like the final blow in the gut. And that just breaks them down, guys. And some of you have been there. So some of you, I say that you're like, yeah, that was the one that that was the one that did me in. Like I was put on the fight until I realized so and so, you know, it hosed me over. You know, and that's just real. So so while we're committed to these things, here's another one that goes right in line with those. We got to commit it, com- be committed to loyalty. Loyalty, twelve through fifteen. Jonathan commits to loyalty with David, and he asked David to pledge loyalty to himself as well. Look at what verse thirteen says. And send you away that you may go in safety. Jonathan's finally realizing that if the plan doesn't work the way he wanted it to work, if Saul really is evil against David, it means David's going to have to be gone until daddy's gone. Okay, so, so, so he's gone forever. He's not going to be welcome in the palace anymore. He's not going to be safe at his home anymore. And by giving David this early warning, what Jonathan's doing, it, he's covering him. He's keeping him safe. So that honest thing sometimes that you need to say, it will keep the other party safe. And there's where Jonathan's at. He goes, look, this is for your safety. I know I've got to be honest for your safety. But look at look at Jonathan's maturity in this section of Scripture. What's he say in verse 13 also? And the Lord will be with you as he has been with my father. So you got two huge things happening in this line right here. I don't know if we caught it. One, he's given more than a warning. He's given encouragement. You know, another way he could really be saying this is, David, even if you got to leave the palace, even if you got to leave your home, all your friends and your family and flee as a fugitive, the Lord will be with you. And if he is with you while you're out there by yourself, that's all you really you really got to have and you really need. So this encouragement that comes with it. Another thing it shows about Jonathan that I love is his spiritual maturity. If this had been your dad and your best friend through all of this and through everything that, that's really going on, would you really be able to say? That the Lord is with Saul. I mean, think about how opposite he really could have been saying. Is God really for Saul? Yes. Jonathan realizes that with every single one of these things that is going on, God has offered Saul so many opportunities for repentance over and over and over again. So he can say with maturity and confidence that the Lord will be with you just as he was with my dad, just as he was with Saul. Verse 14, Jonathan asked David to show what? Unfailing kindness like that of the Lord to not only him, but to his descendants. That is a really pretty phrase in the original Hebrew, okay? You could, I mentioned others could probably pronounce this way better, but Hasid, Kasid, Nisid, Hasid. I'll point this out because this, this word that's used in verse 14 for kindness, the, the Hebrew word right here is one that where, where God is used for loving us. So this isn't like a this isn't like a generic, hey, just be nice to people so that they'll be nice to you. You know, this isn't like when you tell your kids when they're getting off the or getting ready to go to school, now be kind to everybody at school. This is a way deeper level of this word kindness. This is I want you to act as God acts to us. I want you to take it deeper into a whole nother level. God's loyalty, God's devotion, God's unfailing love, God's kindness toward his people. So you see the level of the word that is used here is so much deeper. And Jonathan expects this loyalty from David to extend to his whole family because here's what Jonathan does realize. Jonathan's not an idiot through this whole thing. He knows if David's going to be king, then my family and me are going to be under him. 
And he's saying to, to David, he goes, look, man, I need you to look out for me and my family. I know we were in the house and now we're going to be out the house. Now, now some of you are just thinking that's where it stops at. Study some stuff that went on in this time period. When the next monarch, next ruler come in, guess what happened to the old family? They didn't just get kicked out the house. They got taken out the house in pieces. Literally. So, so what Jonathan is saying here is he's not just pleading, hey, I need you to look out, you know, give me a dollar here and there, loan me some money, you know, give me a loan when I need it, uh, you know, that kind of thing. He's saying, I want you to let us live, you know, because I know Jonathan knows he, he's been in, in the kingship for a long time in the family. So he knows what's expected when the next family comes in, the old family, you know, they're gone. So he's saying, David, I want you to look out. I want you to look out for me. And my, my, my ancestors and my family that comes after me, okay? Jonathan is loyal to David even above his own father. I gotta keep pointing that out because that's significant, man. Okay? Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A commitment of loyalty and unfailing, that word, unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. And this thing's gotta be mutual, guys. All right? Get, get, take your take your blinders off, take your high hopes off, and, and hear me for verses sixteen and seventeen. Let me let me read sixteen and seventeen real quick again. Sixteen and seventeen. Then Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, "May the Lord hold David's enemies accountable." Jonathan once again swore to David in his love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. You notice they're both making commitments. It's a mutual kind of thing. Could you imagine now? Now, these guys aren't getting married, but since we said our spouse should be our our best friend, could you imagine if you're at a wedding? Could you picture Dave and Tammy coming to renew renew their vows and get married again and all that, that that lovey dovey kind of stuff, right? And Tammy stands up and she pours out her heart. She promises to do all these things that she knows he wants done and do a great job at them. And she's going to do them forever unfailing kindness and commitment through this thing. And the other party just stands over there. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that, but could you picture that? Could you picture if you were at a wedding, you know, this beautiful moment. And, and I love, I, I, can, I, I love when couples on council tell me, hey, I'm, I'm going to do my own, we're going to do our own, our own uh, vows. I think that's awesome. You know, write your own promises because nobody can tell you what you should promise and Nobody can tell you what your spouse wants other than you two, right? But could you imagine if one party is pouring out everything, everything, and the other one, yeah, we'll see how it goes, right? Think about that. Now, it's funny in a wedding, right? Would it be any different than with a good friend? You know, you finally made that friendship that, you know, you've been looking at other people and they have. You're like, man, I want a best friend like that. You finally get it. And you're sitting down one day and like, man, I'm always going to be there for you. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to tell you, I got your back, but nobody else got your back. If you need a, a safe haven, you need a place to vent, you come to me. And then they just pause and they're looking. They're like, yeah, I want to hear these words back. Because I'm not just speaking them because I, I want to share them. I want to hear them too, right? So husbands, take that as advice. If your wife is sharing, she probably wants to hear something back. All right? And it's not going to be, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Right? She wants to hear more than that. But could you imagine if you're sitting there in anticipation waiting and that person looks at you and sounds good. Well, hold on. I want the mutual. I want this mutual thing. Friendship is two sided, guys. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but but I can befriend a person even when they don't necessarily. Yeah, you can befriend a person who doesn't reciprocate it, but you can't be friends with somebody who doesn't reciprocate it. Okay. There's no difference in any other relationships in our walks, guys. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. So one man should sharpen the other. Together, together, both people doing something for the other one. True friendship going both ways. Mutual love, mutual commitment. If you're in a uh, one-sided relationship, friendship, yeah, I know that stinks and it's going to break your heart, but that person is not truly your best friend. Not according to what scripture says. Scripture says it should be two-sided. And we'll get to some more examples of that with Jesus here at the very end. This next section. So now we make the commitments. Now we got to act on. Doesn't do any good to make commitments if we're not going to act on the commitments. Verses 18 through 23. 
David and Saul watching out for each other. Number one, number one way you can act on your commitment, put the plan into action. All right. Jonathan is willing to look out for David. Jonathan's going to put this plan uh, while they're at the feast into action. He's going to communicate with David. He's got this this idea set up. I'm going to shoot arrows. He's even smart enough to say I'm going to shoot three of them in case somebody, you know, if you just shoot one arrow, somebody's probably that's a signal. Right. If anybody was out there looking and seeing this thing, he says, I'm going to shoot three. So it looks like I'm actually trying to tune my bow in and get everything sighted and hit this exact target. Right. Um, you know, so if you didn't win a turkey on round one, you got to do it for round two and round three. And two, so you got to tune it in. Right. You, you learn to tune in a shotgun. Let me know. Right. <laughs> Here's where it goes. though. Jonathan's trust in God's sovereignty in this section, guys. Look, everything he bases is off of God's ideas. Look at what he says. Look, the arrows are beyond you. If he says that, then this is what it means. The Lord, not me, not my dad, not the kingdom. But if if this is what happens, then it means the Lord has sent you away. Jonathan never loses face on the on the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over this entire situation, whether it looks like it or not. And Jonathan understands this as he's he's watching out for his friend. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. True friends carry each other's burdens. True friends watch out for each other whenever they can. Could you imagine that walk back to the field that day? With the, with the arrow and the bow and knowing what he had to do and knowing what he had to say? But before that, verses 24 through 32, true friends, talk about actions, they speak up for each other. They speak up for each other. He doesn't even call, verses 24 through 32, Saul doesn't even call David by his name anymore, guys. You see how, how, how angry he really is? This, this is why you're watching his motives. What does he call him? Son of Jesse. That's son of Jesse. <laughs> Sounds funny to say that. I don't know. Right? Maybe he was, he was alluding to something else. I don't know. Here's what I really think he was alluding to. Here's what I really think he was alluding to. Who was Jesse? Family line. Well, more than David's father. We know that because he called him his son of Jesse. <laughs> That's how you used to answer uh, uh, test questions. <laughs> what is math? Math is math. <laughs> Who's the son of Jesse? That's David's dad. <laughs> He's poor. He's poor. David was a shepherd, right? So is it safe to say, remember now, Saul's motives have now changed. He don't like you no more. So now when he says not a name, he's just a son of Jesse. He's saying, look, that that lowly, poor boy who thought he could come up in our palace. You see, you see how angry he's really getting. Right. Jonathan speaks up, though. Right. Jonathan speaks up to his dad. He says, but dad, what has he really done? He's fighting for his innocence. Right. Very thing Saul does goes right back to his old ways. We talked about a couple weeks ago with manipulation. He throws his mama into it. You know, you dirty when you throw a little boy's mama into the argument. What's he telling? Don't I know that you sided with the son of Jesse? To your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. Uh huh. Right. Oh, now we're catching. Oh, that's a bad mama thing. Yeah. Right. Nobody likes their mama throwing them into the fight. But that's what he's doing. He goes, you're bringing shame on your own mother through doing this. Then he tries to even tempt me. Very next thing, manipulation. Tempted him with the kingdom. Look at what he says, verse 31. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. If you want to be able to rule, he must die. All the stuff that he's hanging over Jonathan's head, how easy it would be and how easy it would be for us to understand Jonathan's struggle. Jonathan doesn't take any of the bait. Verse 32. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? The same question David asked at the very beginning of the chapter. What have I done, Jonathan? See, Jonathan's finally realizing dad really is still that angry and still that mad. And he goes back to what he had heard David say. And he says, dad, what what has he really done wrong? We need people who will speak up for us. We do. And we need to start speaking up for some people. Proverbs 31, 9 says, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. True friends speak up for each other. Anybody seen Blindside? Y'all know the story of Blindside if you hadn't seen it? I love the part of the movie. I mean, look, one, I love the part where she finally teaches Coach that he's got protective instincts, so he needs to be blocking. All right? I love that, but what I really love is that first game. 
You know, and, and if you've ever seen it, Michael Orr is this guy. True story, by the way. It's a great movie. Uh, played for the Ravens now. I think he's still playing for the Panthers last I checked. Um, but, but anyway, offensive lineman, he, he's adopted by this wealthy white family. Um, he, he's living in the Bronx, um, Hurt Locker, uh, his actual neighborhood. And, and as he's growing up, he realizes that he's protective of those that care about him. So that's why he bonds so quick with this lady and, and her husband and their family, um, the Tuies. And, and as they go through this, the coach finally realizes it in the middle of the first game and he stands up for it. Because the, the ref, it's a private school league. You know, you rich white people don't like black people. So, uh, you know, th- that's what's going on. And the ref is throwing penalties out because of it and whatnot. And, and the coach finally says, you know what? Enough is enough. That guy is on my team. And the minute that happens, Michael Orr takes that defensive lineman to the house. Actually, takes him to the bus, literally. Uh, you know, but, but, but it's just, it's an awesome turnaround because he realizes that guy's speaking up for me. If it was that easy, and that, that being a true story of somebody who's just playing ball, what kind of motivation can we give others when we start speaking up for them? What if we took it even further and started speaking up for Jesus? You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's be all honest. Jonathan, he's at a big risk right here, but it goes a whole lot deeper when we claim Jesus as our friend, right? Because now we speak up for him, and we need some people who acquit flinching when the world shoots back at us and just stand firm in our beliefs and speak up and speak proud for Jesus. Okay? You're, you're the only physical voice Jesus has. And what are we doing with it? Are we exercising it? Are we using it? We need people who will speak up for us, who will make known. You know, you, you, you question a lot about somebody's loyalty until they actually speak up. Once a person speaks it, there's no guessing game anymore. Like, you know whose side they're on. You know what they're all about. All right, so speak up for people. Another thing we can actively do, truly caring for each other. And I mean truly caring. Look at 33 and 34 here. Saul threw his spirit, Jonathan, to kill him. So what's Jonathan know from that? I love the little comma there. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. Well, I guess dad really doesn't like him. Yes, he threw a spear at you. Verse 34, he got it from the table, fierce and angry, and did not eat any of the food that second day. I, I wouldn't eat either if my dad tried to throw a spear at me. You know, we'd be having some other words kind of, kind of thing. But notice it, guys. That's not what bothers Jonathan at all. He, he's not upset about it all. It says it right there. What's he say? For he was grieved because of his father's same shameless behavior toward David. Man, that's truly caring for somebody, guys. His own life was on the line from his dad. He's not upset about that at all. He's upset that his dad is dealing with David this way. True friends, they, they, they can swallow whatever they're going through and care about what the other person's going through. That's how you can really determine whether somebody's true friendship or not, okay? Sometimes I think sometimes we play this game where we need to see like who's got the poor, poor, piddle for me life. And we try to outdo each other with it. You know, oh, let me tell you about mine. Oh, you thought that was bad. Let me tell you about this one. Oh, no, that's nothing. Let me tell you about this. It's like a fish story you know, or, or a hunting story. We got to make ours worse than the others. What, what kind of game is that? That's like saying, who's the worst sinner? You, you ever heard Christians sit around and try to play that game? Oh, well, I used to drink and do this. Oh, that's nothing. I can drink seven times that are we trying to see like who was furthest away from Christ or what? I thought the game was to try to get closer to Christ, not get away from him, right? We play these dumb games. Care for each other. He cares more about Saul's mistreatment of David than anything else. Remember 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, love each other deeply. That's a deep kind of love, man. That's a deep kind of love. Last section. Verses 35 all the way through this last verse, 42. We got to follow through on our commitments. Friendship ought to be for the long haul. It ought to be going the distance. First thing we see, 35 through 40, keeping our promises. Jonathan keeps his promise. He acts out the arrow scenario in the field, which I love how, John, how, how smart Jonathan is. It says, what, he only shot one? Why? Because nobody else was around. He's got The only thing he's got around with him is the one boy, you know, that he had brought that was going to pick up the arrows anyway. He shoots it and he yells, what? The arrow is beyond you, which is code for David to know it's time for me to, to leave. And look at what he does here. He brings the boy back, gives the boy all the weapons and sends him 
back to the palace so that he can approach his friend unarmed. That way there's no, you know, up until this point, if we're honest, David may have questioned a couple of times. You know, is Jonathan going to be the tool that finally gets me? You know, is he going to be the one that Saul uses? Has he manipulated him enough? Did he, did he get inside his head enough? Jonathan takes all, like, there's no guessing game. He, he doesn't even accuse David of it. He doesn't, he doesn't get mad that David could have had those thoughts. He just says, I want all my weapons gone so that I can approach my friend completely clean, clear, you know, ready to, to talk and embrace one another. Proverbs 25, 19, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on an unfaithful times while we're in trouble. Right. Imagine David sitting out there. Imagine Jonathan not showing up. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if he just sat there? He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. Talk about leaving somebody hanging. You ever been there? Somebody ever left you hanging? Somebody ever? Mm-hmm, yeah, that's not a good friend. Have you ever left somebody hanging? Let's get honest with it. We probably have. Maybe more than once. Right? Look at the risk that, he, that he's taking through this thing. Jonathan's got to got to swallow everything and go against this. And, and here's something I caught this morning, guys. Maybe maybe small, maybe petty. But notice how this small thing is the final thing that changes David's life. It's just an arrow. It's an arrow. It's one arrow that lands in the field. And that's going to be what changes David's life for the next 10 to 20 years. What small thing has happened, could happen, that could totally change your life? I mean, I mean, think about it. One night, we talk about these, these, these girls that Beth was talking about. One night of carelessness could change a girl's life forever. One night of, of, of hanging out with the wrong crowd could get you arrested and change your life forever. One try of one drug could change your life forever. One moment of rage, one moment of anger, one small thing could change your life forever. And we think so often about why should one small thing be, be something that changes everything? Because life is made up of a bunch of small moments. And those small moments are what determine how we handle bigger moments and bigger moments and bigger moments. And unfortunately, a lot of times the small things determine some of the bigger things in our life. And I think sometimes we don't give the small things enough respect, enough credit, enough attention. Let's start paying attention to some of the smaller things and make sure they carry the weight. Now, right, here's the next thing we see, last section, 41 and 42. These guys become forever friends. They didn't have Facebook, but they're also not going to let distance stop them from friendship. By, by the way, they're not going to see each other again until Jonathan's dying. David doesn't get to see Jonathan face to face again until he's on his deathbed, you know, dying. They meet in the field. What's it say? Some things here in 41 and 42. David bows to him three times. But I thought David was going to be the king. Yeah, but he still got this respect for Jonathan and his family. Still, because God placed his family where he's at, right? They give each other a kiss. No, nothing weird here, okay? Common custom during this area to bid farewell. This is how we know this is their final... Final farewell. Then it says they weep together. They weep together. A sign of deep love and affection. They say goodbye and in saying goodbye, they pledge forever their friendship to one another. Man, not to be all, yeah, I'm politically incorrect. That'd be all right. Not to be all gay sounding. Um, but, but this is, this is, just, I had no other way to do it. Right? This, this is just a, a, a really pretty scene, man. I mean, it is. Y'all swallow your man card for a minute and just, just be honest about it. You got two guys that have been best of friends that are now having to bid farewell. I mean, they're crying. They're kissing each other on the cheek. I know what you're thinking. Like, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. But if I swallow that little man card for a minute, I'm like, man, how cool would it be to have a friend like that? How awesome would it be to know that they're not going to let distance stop their friendship? These guys are still going to be devoted to one another, however far apart they get, however much time that they're apart. If David would have came back early and time would have been different, Jonathan wouldn't have been on his deathbed. I think Jonathan would have been right there on David's side then. There's never a guessing game with these two. It's just a really loyal friendship they have. And David gets a chance to prove it. No, he doesn't get to be with Jonathan until he's on his deathbed and can't do anything. But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David gets to fulfill his promise to Jonathan. Jonathan's got a son. 
and, and all this stuff supposed to be taken away and, and given away. And David looks at his people and he says, no. He says, that guy, right by the, which, by the way, is handicapped at the time, so he, can't, he literally can't do anything for himself. And David says, no, that's Jonathan's family. He's getting exactly the portion he's supposed to get. He gets to fulfill his promise and live out his commitment. And that's many, many years later, okay? So it doesn't let time stop it. Another thing, when we talk about Christian friendship, thought about this yesterday hearing, hearing a strong woman read about her mom and verse in a section of scripture she had picked out. First Thessalonians chapter four, 17 says that we will be with the Lord forever. I thought about that and the reading with that. And before that, it says this, uh, death can't stop your friendship because when Christ returns, the dead, uh, that have gone on before you will be raised and you'll be united together. I thought about how awesome that is when we make friendships like David and Jonathan, where it's a spiritual brother at the same time or spiritual Sister at the same time, because you will literally be friends with that person forever. When the kingdom is made, its presence known here, and we're establishing that kingdom rather than this world's kingdom, we will forever, forever be friends with these people because not death or anything else can stop it from taking place. Now we read all this, and here's where I want us to wrap up, just just to pull this out. So if you're a note taker, I think some of these last verses are really cool. I didn't put them on the on the slide. But I want to take this thing a, a step further. What does Jesus call us? I'll give you a hint. We're talking about friendship. So what does he call us? A friend. A friend. Now, you need to understand that, believers. Yes, I know he's your savior. I know he's your Lord. I, I know all the titles. But he got. But, but what do you think he meant when he looked at his disciples and he looks at us and he says, I call you friend. Think about how deep that goes. Think about how deep that's really got to go. Now let's think about the things we just looked at. All right. Is Jesus committed in this friendship? Is he available? Matthew 28, 20. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of age. So he's available. Is he kind? Titus chapter three. But when the kindness and the love of our God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Yeah, I'd say he's pretty kind. Anybody who pays somebody else's debt. Is he truthful? John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A lot of people hate that verse, but wouldn't you want somebody to be honest with you? I mean, think about it. One, one of the greatest things I ever heard a, a well-known atheist say was, it was if Christians believed what they believe, how much do they have to hate us if they don't want to share it with us? Think about what that's saying. If we truly believe the whole kingdom of God and, and, and kingdom without God, hell, concepts and ideas and stuff, how much must we truly hate other people if we don't want to save them from that? An eternal separation from God. Right? And that's what they're saying. So he's truthful. He's not going to sugarcoat it. Right? He's truthful. I am the only way. Is he loyal? Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Yeah, that's loyalty. Right? How about, is it mutual? Ah, now you got to respond. Is it mutual? We've been talking about it's got to be mutual, right? John... 15, 14, what's he say? You are my friend. If you're my friends, you'll do what I command. Right? If you're my friends, you will do what I command. So now I got it. Is it mutual? Are you mutually committed to the things you're supposed to be committed to with Christ? Then are you acting on them? Because he's going to act on them. He watches out for you. Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over you coming and going now and forever. Yeah, he's watching. Does he speak up for you? Yeah. We talk about that, right? First John 2, 1. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense. Jesus Christ, the only righteous one. You realize why Satan is throwing all your trash out. The best picture I can give, it doesn't do justice to it, but I love it. It's like, Father God is sitting, Abba's sitting on his throne as the judge. And you're sitting over here by yourself. And this, this lawyer sitting over here with Satan. And he's throwing out every dirty deed you ever did. Making you sound like a piece of trash. That some of us really were at probably some point in life. And I mean, you're hearing it and you're hearing it and you know there's no way this case could go in my way. But out of nowhere, Jesus bust in to defend you as your attorney. And he speaks to the Father in our defense. 
when we couldn't and nobody else could. Man, that's a powerful picture, right? Jesus truly care for you? Yeah, I'd say so. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, and he laid on his life for his friends. Yeah, I'd say he cares. I'd say he showed exactly what he promised. I'd say he illustrated it completely. Do as he follow through on commitment? Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all that he has made. Is Jesus a forever friend? Well, we already said First Thessalonians, right? We'll be forever with the Lord along with those that have gone on before us. Yeah, I'd say he's a forever kind of friend. Guys, do we cherish friendship? I mean, do we really realize the gift that friendship is in this world? I, I honestly don't know how people make it in the world without good friends. And I'm talking about friends that God established for you to have. Like he's put them there to be the hands and the feet of him. To love on you, to encourage you, to, to kick you. You know, we talk about all the good stuff, but a good friend is going to kick you straight. You know, they're, they're, they got a foot. They're going to put their foot up your butt. If you need it at times, you know, or they'll trip you when you're getting ready to run into trouble so that you don't you don't run into it. Right. We need those kinds of friends. They're going to be honest with us and give us good advice, scripturally advice. We need to thank God for his friendship. We need to evaluate. How we're treating our physical friends, and I think we really need to evaluate our friendship with Christ, our commitments to his commands, to studying his word, to growing, to being what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. I pray this morning with David and Jonathan, guys, that our eyes are open to some things we need to do better, to some things that that maybe we need to receive better. And then just be, just be grateful that we have a God that allows us the opportunity to continue to mold and shape us into being better friends. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for this morning. We thank you for your friendship, God. God, that even when when our enemies in this world is against us, you've sent those people, Lord God, to, to be there with us, to be available. God, you yourself have made yourself available. Lord, you've illustrated your commitment to us, God. And I pray now, Lord God, that you open our eyes, our heart, and our mind, Lord God, to see areas we need to be better actors of the commitments we made, better follow-throughs, Lord God, on our half. Whether it be with friends that you've set up for us, Lord God, here, or, or just with you, Lord God, in our relationship. Lord, open, open our heart, our eyes, our mind, Lord God, today to see these things And may we not wait to some special January 1st day to start over, God, but let's start over today. Let us receive these things today because there's no better time than the present, Lord. Lord, we thank you for today, the gift of it. And Lord God, I just pray that you accomplish what you want to accomplish inside each of us. In your name we pray. Amen.